You are about to hear a history-making sound, the sound of a radio signal, man-made, transmitted from outer space. Listen, 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 listen. Hello and welcome to the PRISM Podcast, the podcast and blog where we analyze the spectrum of scientific, rational, and critical thought. I'm Jason Luchtefeld. And I'm Grant Ritchie. And please check us out at prismpodcast.com, on Twitter at at prismpodcast, and like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash prismpodcast. We'd love to hear from you and appreciate uh, you spreading the word. What have we got? We have an exciting day today, don't we, Jason? Yeah, today we have our first interview. Yes. Uh, we're pretty excited, maybe a little bit nervous, but uh, I think we have a great one lined up in uh, Dr. Clay Jones, and he'll do a little bit of introduction for us, but we've both gotten to know him a little bit just through the skeptical world online, and so I think it's going to be a great interview. Well, and... We know that since we haven't really interviewed anyone, we're have, we had to bribe people to come on, and he was the the lowest. He agreed to come in for the lowest price. So right, I think it's orange great, skittles. Orange skittles. All he wanted was some orange skittles, and he was happy. So he's going to have some great things to say. So we're really excited to have him. It is my pleasure to introduce Dr. Clay Jones, Hello. a pediatric hospitalist, joining us today for an informative interview on a number of areas in uh, science and medicine. Welcome, Welcome Clay. Clay. That's, that's the plan, at least. Uh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, first, Clay um, writes is a regular contributor to the Science-Based Medicine blog, which um, is an excellent blog, excellent blog but also um, Clay writes some really fascinating articles about uh, pediatrics in general, and has your particular area of interest is pediatric chiropractic. Is that right, Clay? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. First and foremost, I'm a, a pediatric hospitalist. Um, what that means is I, I take care of children once they've been admitted to the hospital, and, and a big part of my job is also taking care of healthy newborns. Mm -hmm. um, and I do have a particular interest in uh, science-based medicine and uh, alternative medicine. Um, do you see that quite a bit in the pediatric field? I mean, is that an area that's pretty rife with uh, some pretty crazy ideas? Well, it, it's not that it's as prevalent in pediatrics as it is in, say, um, the adult population there's a lot more chronic disease in the adult mm -hmm. world, and that's a, a big area where the uh, practitioners of so-called alternative medicine, which is simply a marketing term, it doesn't really mean anything, yeah. um, but th they really like to focus on chronic things like diabetes and heart disease and you know, prevented, preventive 
care. Mm-hmm. They like to say that we don't do that, which is, of course, silly. Um, <laughs> but but in treat, pediatrics, but they treat the, uh, the source of the disease, not just the symptoms. They do, and it, it's very it's unique to what they do, um, uh, which is, which of course, it begs the question that we don't. You know, when I take care of a patient with pneumonia, um, and I treat them with. <clears throat> Antibiotics, for instance, if it's a bacterial pneumonia, um, the claim that I'm not locating, uh, diagnosing, and treating the cause of the illness is, is pretty absurd. It is very um, but absurd. That, that, yeah. That's why they focus on the chronic things. They focus on the things that, that aren't as easy for the lay to wrap their brain around. You know what causes. Um, the aches and pains of of life, you know, fatigue and weight gain, and all these things that the just ill, the to ill-defined, everybody. the ill-defined, right. nebulous. Exactly. Whereas, if you know, if I'm an adult doctor and you come to me and you say, "Gosh, I'm just tired," and um, you know, I may talk about you know, getting more exercise, getting better sleep, eating better, all these things that are a, a huge part of conventional um, medicine, and I may test for, for this or that, but generally you're going to get lifestyle advice and nutritional advice from a physician, um, but I'm not going to say I know what's causing it. I'm going to say it's you know, your lifestyle, it's stress, it's, uh, but whereas if you go to a practitioner of, and we'll just pick on chiropractic, they'll, they'll say a lot of the same stuff I would say, I mean, that is true. Um, there's a, there is some overlap, but then but they will give you an exact cause. They will say it is a subluxation in a spinal segment, right? They'll say it's this nutritional deficiency, or if you go to you know a, a naturopath, they'll say it's yeast, yeast. overgrowth. It's you yes. know they'll say it's the, the burdens of a toxic world, and I've got just the thing to cure you. I happen to sell it right here on the shelf exactly. right behind me. Exactly, exactly. And it's funny because Jason and I have, have talked and written about this. Is they'll they'll wrap in. Sound medical advice, good nutrition, reduce your stress, smoking. Uh, stop smoking, yeah. exercise, and yeah. eliminate your toxins or whatever. And we call that the pearl and the turd. Is right. you know, there's a big, huge, steaming pile of turd there, and you know, sometimes in that turd, even by the alternative me- medical practitioners, is there's a pearl in there because you know some of what they say actually is right. Absolutely. And you can't just throw the baby out with the bathwater if you're listening to something or reading something because, you know, just because some woo chiropractor says, you know, fix your subluxations and detox and wear these foot pads and stop smoking, right. you don't throw all of that out. You have to be right. able to discern the pearl and the turd. And right. um, in dentistry quite a bit, of course, but I'm sure that's more prevalent in, in medicine. There's a, one of the other bloggers for science-based medicine, Mark Chrislip, who's an infectious disease doctor. Oh yeah, he's great. Um, puts it quite eloquently uh, when he sa- when he discusses this integration of uh, pseudoscience, woo, whatever you call it, and conventional science-based practice. You know, he, he says when you uh, add cow shit to apple pie, it doesn't make the shit taste better; it makes the apple pie taste worse. Yeah, I mean, I love that quote. Yeah, he is full of those kind of uh, genius and funny uh, quips. He is a witty fellow. So, Clay, so tell me how you got into this interest in 
alternative medicine and how it affected your practice and, and the treatment of children, et cetera? Oh, abs- absolutely. So uh, like a lot of uh, other physicians, I didn't really know much about alternative medicine. I didn't really care. I was a resident uh, at Vanderbilt. I was just trying to keep my head above water, learn ins and outs of providing you know, good medical care for children when really in rapid succession i think it was if i remember correctly it was both in the same couple of weeks i was working in the er and a child came in who had actually the child of a a fairly well-known celebrity whose name i i can't mention this little girl came in with a severe asthma flare i mean she was at the point where she almost needed to have a breathing tube put down her throat Uh, we were luckily able to avoid doing that but in talking with the family she had been sick for several days this had been worsening over this time period uh, and she had been receiving care from a chiropractor Mm. and it blew my mind because I you know I I knew what chiropractic was I never really thought much about it but I I never in a million years would have thought that they were treating sick kids oh no kidding and then not long after that, like I said, I think within a, within a week or two, uh, also in the emergency department, I had a, a, a child come in with a infection in the deep spaces in the neck, had an abscess, mm-hmm. pus was building up. And she came in at the point that it was so significant, it was impeding her ability to breathe. It was squeezing her airway shut. Yeah, those um, are very serious. It's yeah, life life threatening, uh, but if caught in time, easily treatable in the vast majority of cases. And she had been going to an acupuncturist, uh. and again, I was I was floored, you know. And I, I often make the joke that I mean, she she needed a needle, <laughs> she just needed a bigger one shoved a little bit deeper uh, in, in the in right spot. spot. <laughs> but it was it was it was scary stuff and and she did well with appropriate surgical intervention and medical intervention and she did fine okay back back um, to your back to your first patient i know you can't say yeah. who it was but was twerking involved uh, no no this is this predates uh predates the torque the, the pre-torque yeah and i'm actually from uh deep the deep south and yeah. the torque was invented in new orleans of course it was um so I'm very familiar. I, I can't say I've dabbled in it much, but uh, no, no, it predates the twerk. Uh, okay, just I can't say who it was. It's just one of the, you know. Yeah, I know. One of those privacy you issues. Took an oath. But so, so that kind of primed your pump when you had those couple of of woo experiences uh, in short succession, rapid succession. That kind of primed your pump. That alerted your radar, huh? Absolutely. It it it, it set me on the path and. And so I started reading more, investigating um, pretty much anything I could get my hands on. I, I really got into it. I ended up doing a grand rounds at Vanderbilt on alternative medicine mm. in general and in specific pediatric chiropractic. And it, it was funny that it, the room was packed. It was standing room only. Nurses came. Other um, allied health uh, folks came. Uh, and also someone from the just about to open Vanderbilt Integrative Medicine Center. I'm not sure what the title is these days. Um, Afterwards, 
Well, they, he had actually they had uh, spoken with me right before because they had heard because it got advertised to the community, and they in fact had extended an invitation for me to be a resident representative and help out with starting this new center. And after the uh, grand rounds, I got a very curt, very short, um, never mind email because of course I took a very skeptical standpoint. Right. But even looking back at my old uh, slides. Even then, I was naive. I mean, just what I've been exposed to since and what I know now, even then, I was too easy on uh, the practice of chiropractic and pediatrics. Did you get much negative feedback afterwards, or was it supportive, or did people just, like, shove you in the corner and and pretend like you didn't exist? Well, my, my fellow residents, my other faculty, of course, they 100% uh, agreed with everything I had, had to say, and some even voice stronger opposition to to alternative medicine and pediatrics uh, I got one email from a local chiropractor I don't know if he was there or not um, I think he probably just heard about it and we had a brief exchange and I challenged him to a to a debate um, which a crack off nothing, yeah nothing <laughs> nothing came of it but yeah it, it, it really uh, people who and you can probably relate people who actually take care of sick people or people I'm sure you see people whose mouths are are really messed up or are at least read about it or know it um, who have been to a biological dentist mm. or some some equivalent in your field yeah you know and you know the harm that could be done it you it really gets you fired up because you ultimately you want to help people so clay when we were talking about setting this interview up and you said that this was one of your topics to talk about I did a little bit of research to see kind of what it was because I never had really heard of chiropractics on pediatric patients and so I found that there's an organization that's actually dedicated just to that yes and International, they have a research uh, yeah. yeah they have a research section a tab you can click and so research. I thought oh wow that's that's fantastic they have research so I clicked on it and it's I went through it for maybe 10 or 15 minutes and just tried to find some articles that might link me to PubMed or something like that. And it unfortunately, it didn't. It was all just case studies, just yeah. anecdotes from patients that had been treated and then healed. And almost all of them were the patient's been on antibiotics for two weeks, and then after their second chiropractic adjustment, their ear infection the was gone. Better. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's amazing what's out there, and I think uh, you know people really want to want to go for it. But as you see, I'm sure on a on a regular basis, it can get pretty serious. How often do people come to you that have been experimenting in other areas before they find you? Well, as I said before, I'm I'm a hospitalist, so my um, patients who I take care of are only the ones, unless they're a, a newborn, that are sick enough to be in the hospital. Um, luckily in pediatrics, it's, ve it's actually very rare for a, an, a severely acutely ill child to have the experience like the two anecdotes that I gave. Um, mo most parents recognize the benefit of conventional medical care, um, especially when their child is very ill. Um, <clears throat> what typically happens is it, it's using more of a, as they like, the term they like to use, complementary fashion. Yeah. So yes, their child has cystic fibrosis and they uh, go see their pulmonologist and they take their uh, medicines and do their breathing treatments and they get their tune-ups in the hospital, um, but they may also go to a chiropractor or they may also go to uh, a naturopath or an acupuncturist, 
or even just take take supplements right. that someone recommends will help you know clear their you know chest problems which probably for the most part is harmless but but there could be you know there's there's a slippery slope there because as long Absolutely. as they put you in the in the primary focus and they acknowledge that and they realize that all this other stuff kind of falls in the the shruggy category of well it can't hurt i know that you know, if if they're halfway intelligent about it, then okay. I, I mean, I disagree with it, but I can I can understand it. But it's where it interferes, that or is instead of or it delays treatment. Right. That's where the problems can really occur. Because I mean, like you said, well, even in t- in your uh, science based medicine, uh, today is the twenty seventh of September, and and Clay just wrote a great article in Science Based Medicine blog um, about just the the nipple confusion, which, and, you know, one of the things you mentioned is the parents are a very vulnerable population. I mean, you've got your, your baby One of there. the most vulnerable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one thing to, like, screw yourself over, but you're, you don't want to screw over your kid. I mean, I remember right. that first, you know, and, it, and it's always, or it seems like it's usually with the firstborn because you're paranoid about the firstborn and, you know, you read everything, the second one and beyond, you're like, ah, oh, whatever. Yeah, um, fine. that's Dust right. Off. Exactly. Just they'll cry. Um, but I mean, I get it. You are. I mean, this little helpless baby, their, their care, their well-being is totally within your control. And the decisions you make can have profound influence. I mean, the, uh, a baby cannot consent to treatment. So this is a very vulnerable population. So I can see where they would be open to all kinds of woo. And, and luckily, you know, the silver lining in that is the probably the overwhelming majority of negative impact of pseudoscience and alternative medicine in regards to care of young infants, newborns, uh, it, it is it's an economic impact. Mm-hmm. It's spending those extra hundreds or even thousands of dollars to do things that just aren't necessary. That's true. Uh, my next post is going to be on private cord blood banking. Uh, for stem cells. Good example. It's one little notch above a scam, in my opinion. Um, not not 100%, but yeah. close, as, as people were reading a couple of weeks. Um, and that costs, on average, three $3,500. You could just get the stem cells out of your teeth, right? It, it, exactly. And, and Which is Jason's and my next company. Well, you'll, you'll make a lot of money. Uh, you, you need to stay one step ahead of the... Absolutely. Uh, We're on the, the cutting edge. Though. You'll have to come up with something better. But parents will bring their children to chiropractors, unnecessarily, of course, and to prevent sudden infant death syndrome or to treat, which I think is particularly yeah. reprehensible, or to um, treat colic or tummy problems, you know, fussy baby stuff. And those kids really aren't at too much risk. I mean, you're not having newborns having vertebral artery dissections. No. Uh, chiropractors are smart enough to not uh, do high-velocity, high-amplitude neck adjustments on a two-day-old. They do silly things like the activator method where they, they lightly tap on the baby's spine and they say, ooh, I've moved something. Uh, <laughs> no, you know, you're like jumpy anyway. What's that, Jason? <laughs> Babies are like Gumby anyway, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Pretty much, but you still you're not moving those uh, vertebral bones in any way, shape, or form. No, but just um, the thought of that just kind of makes me cringe. But it, it, it sounds worse than it is in that regard. 
but it, it's laying that foundation. You've yeah. got these parents that are vulnerable and they're being told, I can fix your colic. And, and guess yeah. what? It, it looks like they do fix kids' right. colic because that just gets better. Um, but then they're, they're having anti-vaccine information thrown mm -hmm. at them. They're being, their heads are being filled with anti-medicine discussions in general, mm -hmm. and it, it's worrisome. And it's really, you know, what continues to astound me from, I mean, I've kind of been involved with the, with the anti-science, pseudoscience, I mean, for 20, 30 years. And initially in my naivete, however you pronounce it, naive, how do you pronounce that? Naivete, naivete, I don't know where the accent goes. Anyway, you figure, well, you know, over time, we are such a scientific culture and this is 2013 and we've advanced so far this would surely die away and it's not i mean if anything it's just it's it's flourishing and it just drives me crazy right they there's so much information available the internet yeah. um is, is a big factor that yeah the, all, these things that you would have thought just like you said would have died and gone away decades ago they just maintain this this base of, of believers that it's frustrating to people who like us who who know who truly do know better mm -hmm. really no I'm, clay i want to back up for a second i got a I'll little bit like of a bone to pick with you okay this this article about nipple confusion well first of all i mean what <laughs> guy is not confused stuff, about nipples really <laughs> right. yeah that's a but some, so, some more than others i would imagine that's yeah, true has. Maybe that's a personal problem. I, yeah. I think that uh, you have an old anatomy textbook you can pull out, Jason. Yeah, you have a paragraph here that says to combine a pacifier with sucrose to alleviate pain during procedures such as heel sticks, venipuncture, and circumcision. Two paragraphs later, you say do not put sugar or honey on. Oh no, three paragraphs later on your pacifier. So. What up What's with that? the parent to do? You're, you're right. You're, you're, you're clearly cherry-picking here. <laughs> you're clearly contradicting yourself. Yes. Uh, I, so, put, I, put so, morphine on, I put morphine on my kids' pacifiers during their venipuncture. More effective, perhaps um, somewhat riskier. So, yeah, no, that's a fascinating topic. You know, we treat pain in babies. It was not It was not that long ago that we felt neonates didn't even feel pain. Yeah. and. There were, you know, surgical procedures where children, babies did not even get pain medicine. Hashtag anesthesia. circumcision. Right. <laughs> so so we, we have this lovely intervention that is risk-free, which is sucrose, generally a 20% sucrose solution. You know, pacifiers dipped in that. And the evidence is, is quite clear that children, neonates, newborns, who are undergoing brief procedures like like what you mentioned heel sticks puncture circumcision that they have l lower blood pressure lower heart rate they they breathe more slowly they don't have facial grimacing because we can't ask the baby if right. they're in pain right right we have sign, to use happy these. face sign right right um so it, it clearly works and then now so the second aspect of what you said and and this is certainly more in in, in you guys ballpark parents who then go home and in order to help soothe the baby that they're constantly dipping the pacifier mm -hmm. um, in sugary things, you know, honey, of course we don't recommend that under age one for because of the risk of infant botulism. But even if they were using corn syrup or, or in the Mountain South, Dew. we like cook, 
Mountain Dew. <laughs> that that it yeah. can harm the uh, the the teeth, right? Potentially. Of course, when you're talking about neonatal care, you're not talking about tooth decay because obviously, ninety nine percent of them don't have teeth at that age. Uh, but so is that, that just that, a clay? Is that just a true. soothing effect? The sucrose? I mean, just it tastes good. It relaxes them. There's obviously, or is there an actual pharmacological effect there? It's one of those uh, situations where we pro- there's probably some alteration of physiology in the baby. There's mm-hmm. not any studies saying exactly yeah. what that is, but we clearly know that uh, babies who get it do not display to the same degree as babies who don't those signs of pain mm-hmm. and discomfort. Okay. But whether what mechanism it works through exactly, I, I'm. I think is unclear. Yeah. Well, and it does not work in older older ch- children. Yeah, and as long as it works, it's one of those things that that's probably you're happy. I mean, it doesn't right. matter how it, it, it is, works; it's that it works. And in, in my opinion, and most pediatricians' opinions, there's absolutely no harm to a little bit of twenty percent sucrose. Now, when I say a little bit, we're talking about a milliliter or less. This mm-hmm. is we're not talking yeah. about large amounts of course. When it's medical grade obviously. <laughs> oh, it's the good stuff. That's yeah, we, we we do refer to it as baby crack in the it nursery. Is baby crack. And what you charge probably like 80 bucks uh, an ounce for it. Well, it's hard to get that data cuz hospitals don't like to release yeah, it, but don't. I think it is anywhere from 80 to $37,000 <laughs> um, per allotment of well, 20% sucrose. It yeah. keeps the baby from screaming, it's worth every penny. Yeah, and so okay. Now that leads us kind of into the the merging of, of our two disciplines is, um, you know, the fluoride question. I'm, oh, it's evil stuff. It's toxic, evil stuff. It's rat poison. So we're yeah. on the same page here, then. Obviously. Yeah. So we could probably just stop the podcast. Okay. <laughs> no, that it, it's contra- It's controversial. It, it it's what um, I've heard described by folks like uh, I think David Gorski may have even uh, from another uh, science-based medicine blogger may have even coined this term. Uh, if not, I'm sure he won't mind the credit, uh, but a manufacturoversy. There's no mm. medical or scientific controversy whatsoever to right. the use of fluoride in the water supply or you know, telling parents to uh, use a fluoride toothpaste in, in municipalities where there isn't fluoride in the water. I mean, it, it's, it truly is extremely low risk and the benefit is, is so significant. Do you, do you see that much? Of course, as a hospitalist, you may not, but in your in your residency, did you see examples of, of dental neglect, uh, fluoride issues, etc.? Well, unfortunately, I see dental neglect all the time. It's one of those things that's often swept on, under the rug. You know, as pediatricians, we focus on physical abuse and sure. you know, other, other, other forms of neglect. Are you feeding the kid? But we all, we frequently see children with a mouthful of rotten teeth, and we mm. just kind of gloss over it and say, we figure, oh, I'll see a dentist about that. That's not our in our purview, but it should be. Wow. Uh, what I do have is a comparison. I, I did my training in Nashville, and, and I, I did not see... A lot of rotten teeth, okay. a lot of mouths full of full of metal, toxic metal. What's that? Toxic, to- toxic What's that? metal. Because to it's on. full of yeah, mercury. mercury. Yeah. But then when I moved back home to Baton Rouge, where we don't add fluoride to the water supply, and that's because every time the government tries to do it, the crazies come out of the woodwork and mm-hmm. and fight it down. It, it, it's a significant issue in Baton Rouge. I mean. Mm. It, I felt like almost every other kid I saw had um, significant issues with dental uh, caries. 
and in fact, many of the pediatric clinics in our academic clinic at the residency program I worked at um, were applying it in the clinic at well child checkups. There are these little fluoride applicators. Uh, are you guys familiar w with this? Never heard of it. Okay. So uh, it, it's a kind of a, a push in, in areas where there's not uh, fluoride in the water and where it's a big problem. Uh, children can come into the their primary care clinic, in this case it was the resident continuity clinic, and they can have uh, fluoride applied to the teeth in, in kind of a thick coat. Um, and there's good evidence that it significantly reduces the incidence of, of yeah. cavities. It's dirt cheap. See, I so mean, that's varnish great. that you apply. It's, What's that? I'm sorry. It's Jason. a varnish that's applied. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 No, that's wonderful. I, I, at least in this area, in the Midwest and Kansas City area where I am, um, I'm sure it's happening, but I just have not heard it applied in mm -hmm. a pediatric uh, office or clinic. Uh, but do you have in, fluoride in the water there? You know, uh, in, in Kansas City, yes. I practice in a small town outside of Kansas City, and there is about a third of the recommend, recommended dosage of fluoride in the water there because they gotcha. get some of their municipal water from a, an adjacent town. And that's fluoridated at optimal levels, one part per million, but... If you know a third of it, they gets watered down, pun intended. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's great that that pediatricians are recognizing this and actually doing that instead of. I mean, the the common sense thing would be go see your dentist, go to a pediatric dentist. But as you probably know, maybe one in twenty will actually heed your exactly. advice. Um, so that's great that you guys are doing. And I do think that the research. I graduated from dental school in 1986. And, you know, we were still being taught that the primary benefit of fluoride was systemic versus topical. And I think that the, the pendulum is swinging more toward the topical mm -hmm. benefits versus systemic. So um, that fluoride varnish is, is great. I think it's still mixed on kids. Mm -hmm. But right. on adults, the for sure, it's all topical. Sure. But I, I think part of that, Clay, to add to some a program like you just talked about, would be the nutrition side of it. And I think that uh, fluoride is important, but it's also kind of a, a crutch or a Band-Aid in a lot of, t a lot of places mm -hmm. that if people know that it's there, then they kind of think they have this extra protection and they're not going to have problems. And while we do have fluoride, we still have our fair share of uh, decay on kids that I think is, is significantly preventable Absolutely. with just yeah. better nutrition from the parents and we kind of joked about it before with the Mountain Dew or with the sugar on pacifiers but as much publicity as there's been across the country on this topic there's still people that put their kids to bed with bottles that have juice and milk and, milk. and things that they think are good but right. and it is frustrating because this that's bread and butter pediatrics I mean that's we advise against that until we're blue in the face, but of course it, it still happens. So I, I, I was actually posed a question in the comments section on my post today, and since I, I have access to, to uh, dentists here, um, what are your thoughts on spit cleaning pacifiers? Or do you, have, do you have thoughts? I'm sure you have thoughts. You have thoughts on this topic. Yeah, I think uh, I'll answer that first um, and then let Grant take a stab at it. And my opinion is just that, an opinion. Uh, I don't have research on it or anything else, but I think that there is a, if a parent has a significant caries problem, then 
it should be advised to be avoided. If so the they're parent, full of this acid-producing, uh, cavity-causing bacteria. There's the potential for them to have more of those bacteria than average that are contributing to the caries problem. Unfortunately, caries is multifactorial. You know, you need the bacteria, but you also need the food source. You also need an acid environment, and right. all that stuff is mixed up together differently in different people. So, uh, I would I would say that to people that have a severe carry caries issue. I also say that to couples if the if one person has Mountain Dew mouth and the other person has beautiful teeth, I'll I'll kind of throw that as a bit of a scare tactic that you don't want to get what he's got and mm -hmm. uh, trying to encourage them to take better care and to get things fixed. With that said, I think I just read a most of the way through a book called Gulp, where uh, oh, the yeah. author yeah. Mary Rhodes, she yeah. yeah she tracks from saliva all the way down the alimentary canal to when it exits. And the part on saliva In was really interesting. Pediatrics, call that poop. Yes, mm. thank you. <laughs> um, so so uh, technical here. Th yeah. <laughs> The section that she's in now, talking about prison, is really fascinating. But back to the saliva, uh, she talks a lot about the benefits of saliva and licking wounds and why animals do it and why we may benefit from it. And while there are bacteria in saliva, there is also enzymes and things that are Antibodies, beneficial yeah. for wound healing. So then my final point is the potential immune benefit from getting the spit from your parents. And again, no research, a complete opinion that there could be a, a slight benefit there of getting some inoculation so to speak there with you go good, with good bacteria you, right it's right that was actually what the question yeah. was posed to me what was about they mentioned that possible benefit of probiotics essentially right yeah i mean i think for the most part i mean i completely agree with what jason said and, and i don't have any research either for one you drop a pacifier on the ground it's probably not going to be that dirty or any, anything. It's probably going to be worse once you licked it off than it is mm -hmm. once it's laying on the ground. Five-second rule or not. Right. Um, or just rinse it off. Right. But but I do think th this is a great opportunity to point out that um, when we talk to our patients about dental decay, when we talk to our patients about periodontal disease, it seems to be one of those disease processes that, that's similar to appendicitis in that it is yours and yours alone. You don't think of dental caries or um, periodontal disease as a transmissible disease, but it is just like any other disease. Now it's not as transmissible as, as you know, flu. the flu or any of those other right. things, but any time you lick a pacifier, clean it off and stick it in your baby's mouth, you are transmitting disease. Now, of course, a mother baby uh, bond is very tight. So, you know, they're all up in each other's grill, so to speak, all the time anyway. So it's not like they're not getting each other's bacteria uh, on a daily basis anyway. But if it is an at-risk mother, just like Jason said, if it's high uh, decay, uh, untreated decay mother, if it's active periodontal disease mother, then they are going to transmit those uh, gram-negative uh, anaerobe bacteria, those spirochetes, theoretically, to their child, which, you know, whether or not that cause adverse effects, I, I have not seen the literature on that, but I would wipe it off with your shirt or something. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, rinse it off. R rinse it off. 
without and that, tap water. The, 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 I essentially feel the same way. Uh, one, it's just nasty. Yeah. And, and, and two, you could increase a risk of of dental caries, and which, uh, and you guys probably could speak to this better than me. Uh, has a lot of downstream uh, repercussions, right? All that chronic. Uh, mouth inflammation and its links with you know heart disease and and whatnot and you're kind of setting them off on a on a bag foot and I'm not so sold although I like you guys I'm not you know intimately familiar with the literature but I don't I'm not that convinced that there's a big you know probiotic essentially benefit from it I mean when we have when we treat children with C. diff or uh, Clostridium difficile, like gut infection, where we sometimes do bacterial transplant or stool transplants, we need stool because we need the we need the actual the bacteria, good, yeah, gut bacteria, right? We do, we don't do saliva transplants. I think that the the colony count, the amount would be so low that it wouldn't be that significant a benefit. But I'm just no, talking off the top of my head. And yeah, I don't think it's so much of a benefit that we should start recommending it, recommending it to people on a regular basis. To uh, poo mouthwashes, is that what you're saying? Yeah, we don't need to be birds uh, regurgitating <laughs> right. each other's mouths. Right. But no, there's uh, a big, there's a big kind of quote natural uh, push in dentistry oh, yeah. about probiotics and dental uh, dental health, and and there's oh, actually there, I didn't. I thought you were going to talk about something completely different. Never mind. With poo, you're kind of fixated on poo, aren't you? But um, it, it's seventy five percent of what we do. Yeah, that's true. But, um, you know, you think theoretically, you know, just like anything with probiotics, in a theoretical standpoint, it makes sense. You've got the, quote, good bacteria coming in and crowding out the, quote, bad bacteria. But, you know, I've not seen a lot of research on long-term benefits of that. You know, does it really get to where it needs to go? If you're talking about the areas in the mouth where where gram-negative aerobic bacteria are living, you know, what's your you know, your yogurt going to do. Right. Well, and, and unfortunately, most of the over-the-counter probiotic supplements and uh, certainly things like yogurt, uh, despite what Jamie Lee Curtis <laughs> might have to say about it, um, a, a lot of those aren't live cultures. Right. All, all the studies showing benefit and and there aren't, there's not a, uh, a lot of evidence that there's benefit, but they involve pharmaceutical grade probiotics um, where, where you know the colony count. You can't just go to the GNC and get colon health um, pills yeah. and expect to get any benefit. And most of the benefit is associated with um, post antibiotic diarrhea. Mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot to support yet, like you said, long term health benefits with uh, taking probiotic supplements or. Yep, I'm with you there. Well, I think most of those areas are so multifactorial that you're you're never going to overwhelm the system and fix it with just probiotics. And like right. you alluded to, it might be a, a somewhat of a benefit in certain situations, but it's not the the cure all, and yeah. so a minimal intervention. Well, and I think people who are really heavy on this are also the subscribers to the yeast theory of everything, where Candida overgrowth, both mouth and GI tract, you know, is kind of the one true cause of things. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a frontline defense against that. And, and uh, you know, it makes sense, I guess, on paper, but doesn't hold true in the real world. No, added to the list of many, many one true causes yes. of all disease. 
But uh, no, I thought I thought that was great. Jason, is there anything else you want to throw out there? Hey, Clay, what's your favorite beer? My my favorite beer is um, Mackeson Triple X Stout. Ah, it's a milk stout. It is from England, I, I, oh, I believe. Wow. It could be from Ireland. It it's hard to find. I used to get it at, at a, a restaurant in Baton Rouge called The Chimes, and I could find it in Nashville. I've never found it anywhere since. Um, but it is fantastic. Mm. Awesome. You have to try it out, Jason. Hey, Clay, um, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. That's been oh, very informative. And you can check Clay out at the Science-Based Medicine blog where he's a frequent Every other Friday. Every other Friday. And where else can – if people want to read your stuff, uh, Twitter, anything else, any other blogs or anything else? Uh, Science-Based Medicine is the my yeah. primary blog at this point in my life. Okay. I, I, I've got a super secret uh, blog I, I write for called Nudsen's News, uh, K-N-U-D-S-E-N-S News. Um, you really sure you want that out there? Because you're busting it I've wide open. I've read that. Which I've is, read that. Which is, a, which is absolutely amazing. I will, I'm not it just is. saying this because, Clay, but it, if you are a fan of – it reminds me if of like the, the Onion. If you like The Onion – Clay's stuff on Newton's News is is absolutely beautiful. So if you uh, like the Onion, you may settle for Newton's News. Uh, I won't claim an equivalent quality. I will say that the the Onion aspires to to Newton esque oh, status, and, but yeah, it's it's great. So and and, and my uh, Twitter handle is at uh, skeptic pd. Yeah, skeptic p e d i. Yep, and follow him on Twitter because because Clay, apart from from science based medicine, puts out some great stuff on that too. So, um, thank you again, Clay, for for coming oh, on pleasure. our show and appreciate it. And we look forward to to seeing. Well, I think that was a great interview with Clay. And as we're putting the finishing touches on our podcast here, it just so happens that the news somewhat exploded with information about a chiropractor in Australia having broken a baby's neck mm, and horrific. a big call to put an age limit on what chiropractors can and cannot treat since a baby cannot give consent. No. And as Clay alluded to in our interview, that was one of his points uh, was that uh, children cannot give consent. And I think this just goes to show uh, timing is sad and, uh, but but useful from the standpoint it highlights what he says you know what all interventions medical interventions have obviously risks associated with them and as doctors we all prescribe treatments or medications where it has been shown that the benefits outweigh the risks in a situation like this in australia certainly there are any risks to any type of therapy but in the case of a chiropractic manipulation, there's no benefit. There's been no demonstrated benefit. So um, apart from just the tragedy of that, the take-home message is, is even if it was 100% safe, there would never be a benefit. And so that completely skews the equation of the whole process. And so I think that uh, this will really, it already is raising the, the call to regulate this more and um, hopefully put some guidelines into place. Yeah, and, and kudos to Clay for fighting the fight uh, in oh, his def- area. Definitely, definitely. 
Well, that should wrap it up for today's uh, podcast. Thanks for joining us, and uh, tune in next time. When you are studying any matter or considering any philosophy, ask yourself only what are the facts and what is the truth that the facts bear out. Science is more than a body of knowledge. It's a way of thinking, a way of skeptically interrogating the universe. If we are not able to ask skeptical questions, to be skeptical of those in authority, then we're up for grabs. In all of science, we're looking for a balance between data and theory. You don't have to delude yourself with irony and cherry The same spiritual fulfillment that people find in religion can be found in science by coming to know, if you will, the mind of God. The real world, as it actually is, is not evil. It's remarkable. And the way to understand the physical world is to use science. There is a new wave of reason sweeping across America, Britain, Europe, Australia, South America, the Middle East and Africa. There is a new wave of reason where superstition had a firm hold. Teach men the reason. Think for a lifetime. Think for a lifetime. Cosmology brings us face to face with the deepest mysteries, with questions that were once treated only in religion and myth. The desire to be connected with the cosmos reflects a profound reality. We are connected, not in the trivial ways that astrology promises, but in the deepest ways. I can't believe the special stories that have been made up about our relationship to the universe at large. But look at what's out there. It isn't in proportion. Science is more than a body of knowledge. It's a way of thinking. A way of skeptically interrogating the universe. There is a new wave of reason sweeping across America, Britain, Europe, Australia, South America, the Middle East and Africa. There is a new wave of reason where superstition had a firm hold. Teach a man the reason. Think for a lifetime. Think for a lifetime. Superstition had a firm hold. Teach me the reason.